Blog Talk Radio. This is Kim Hopkins standing in for Dr. Ross Green, who is traveling in British Columbia today. It's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this radio program the first Tuesday of the month, September through May at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. On this program, we do our best to help you with your behaviorally challenging child, help you figure out what's going on, and help you figure out some things that are hopefully going to work. Our call-in number is 347 994 2981 and make sure to press 1. I might be joined by one of our B team parent leaders shortly, but as of right now, I'm on my own. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, it's May 1st. Um, so this is our last edition of Parenting Your Behaviorally Challenging Child for this school year. Our next uh, next time we'll be on with you will be in September. Uh, this really uh, flew by fast for us, for sure. Uh, on this program, callers take precedent, and at this point, we don't have anyone calling in at the moment, but we'll keep an eye on that. And what we do have are some emails that have come in from different folks. So let's jump into those. Oh, before I do, I was also thinking about, as I'm enjoying a cup of tea from one of my Lives in the Balance mugs that I got uh, at our summit, is that this year's summit is going to be on Friday, November 2nd in beautiful Portland, Maine. And we hope that you'll come join us. It's a great day to get recharged and to um, connect with others, you know, parents, educators, providers who are doing this great work as well. And it's always an amazing day. So if you can make it, we'd love to meet you in Portland, Maine on November 2nd. Okay, our first email is from a parent who says, hi, I'm very invested in this approach, but I'm confused about how lagging skills are addressed. I understand the link between removing the unsolved problem, helping to eliminate the challenging behavior. My six-year-old son has trouble with transitions, which I assume is flexibility and adaptability, as well as frustration tolerance. Sometimes when he doesn't get his way, he acts out. He has trouble communicating verbally. He never knows why he makes certain poor choices in behavior. I understand that plan B can give kids chances to practice problem solving, but I'm confused about how this approach builds frustration tolerance. I also assume the invitation and problem solving builds flexibility by requiring kids to be flexible enough to find a solution that meets their needs and their parents' needs. My biggest question is how do we build the skill of frustration tolerance? Well, thanks for emailing in. Um, So there's a few important things here that we should talk about. Um, First off, you're right, um, removing the unsolved problem, which is what we call plan C, does help eliminate challenging behavior, decreases in any way because you're taking 
an expectation off the kid's plate temporarily in service of working on high priority expectations, one or two at a time, uh, through the use of proactive plan B. Um, hopefully you found our assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems <clears throat> to help you really figure out the different times when your child can predictably, um, when your child's going to predictably show challenging behavior. Um, so it would help you look at that lagging skill of difficulty managing transitions as a jumping off point for coming up with examples of when you would see that happen. Um, you don't have to necessarily know if the transitions difficulty is about um, flexibility and adaptability. You don't necessarily have to be right about the lagging skill that is behind an unsolved problem. And that's a really important point because it's really hard to be precise at all. Assume that multiple lagging skills contribute to an unsolved problem and just use those lagging skills on that LSEP as a springboard for coming, with, coming up with examples of unsolved problems that you're gonna work on. Um, the, you, you're right about how the model teaches skills. It's indirect. Um, and so there's a lot of different skills being taught within those three steps and being practiced within those three steps. You know, taking another person's perspective, um, putting into words thoughts, needs, and concerns, brainstorming, it's all in the mix of those three steps. Then you layer in the specific unsolved problem that you're talking about, and then you might be even focusing on other lagging skills as well. But it, it happens indirectly, which is actually really good news, <laughs> because otherwise I think there'd be a whole lot more to have to think about in those three steps. Um, so your question, how do we build the skill of frustration tolerance? You would first complete the ALSIP to come up with examples of when you see that happening. Um, one thing that you mentioned is when he doesn't get his own way, he acts out. That as an unsolved problem right now is quite clumped um, because there's multiple times he doesn't get his own way, right? And so you would want to think about um, some examples of times that spring to mind when he has difficulty managing frustration tolerance. When was a recent time that he didn't get his own way? Um, that would be the unsolved problem to talk to him about. So for example, uh, if, you, if he really wanted to go bowling as a family and there was a vote and he was overruled and everybody decided to go to the movies and he likes the movies, well, maybe he doesn't. It doesn't kind of matter. But he ends up having, he ends up landing in the water, as we say, over that, that he didn't get to go bowling, got to go to the movies, even though he'll find some fun in that. It doesn't matter. You know, um, that's what you would work with him on. You know, buddy, I noticed the other day you had difficulty when we decided to go to the movies instead of go bowling. What's that? And so by working on that unsolved problem specifically, that you think is rooted in frustration tolerance, and it might be, but be prepared for surprises for sure. Um, that's how you would do that work, you know. So the skills necessary or practiced in plan B are just inherent to the three steps, and then you layer in an unsolved problem that, that is a specific example that springs to mind when he's having difficulty uh, managing frustration. 
And by working on that and coming up with a solution together, once you understand his side um, and his concerns and you've shared with him yours and you work on a solution for, for managing that situation and that solution stands the test of time, um, then you've started to build in some um, frustration tolerance skills by doing that. Again, we might be surprised what, what we hear from him when we ask him about that, and it might end up being related to frustration tolerance, or it might end up being something else. But that is how the skills are built, by coming up with strategies for certain situations, specific situations, that then you hope will translate to other situations that are like those. Now the kid has a working number of strategies to um, address the skill deficit. And while you're doing that, the great news is you're building a partnership, you're breeding honesty, you're breeding empathy, as well as all kinds of other skills that are necessary for landing on the better side of humanity, as Dr. Green likes to say. <clears throat> Let's see here. Okay. No callers yet. Uh, give the call-in number again. 347-994-2981. Make sure to press 1. Sometimes this certainly happens when the first Tuesday of the month ends up being one of the first, you know, couple days of the month. People don't realize, oh, my goodness, it's May already, and it's the first Tuesday, and so we'll be on today. But we've got lots of emails to get to, so that's okay. <clears throat> okay, the next email is from a parent who says, we are trying to use CPS to get our 15-year-old son to take breaks from cell phone use. We can't even get him off the phone to have these conversations. Our therapist says the phone is soothing to him, and we need to get at what his need for soothing is. But when we do get him off the phone by making him leave it at home for a trip to get fast food, he becomes a pleasant, conversant person. We see every evidence of addiction, which makes it that much harder for implementing CPS. What do you suggest? Our therapist recommends CPS, but is not helpful in how we can have the conversation. Well, a difficult one for sure. Unsolved problems that have to do with screens tend to be some of the most difficult unsolved problems to solve. Um, so first off, what stands out to me is that um, you want to be real clear and what the expectation is that he's not meeting. So taking breaks from cell phone, I would definitely be a bit more clear about that because um, that's going to help you in your wording of, of the unsolved problem. So if your expectation is that he, you know, I don't know, in a given hour, he's on his cell phone 20 minutes of that 60 minutes, or he only uses his cell phone after he's, completed his chores, completed his homework, and done an hour of family time. Whatever your expectation is, I would be sure to get clear about that because that is essentially going to help you word the unsolved problem that you talk with him about. So, for example, if you decide that your expectation is that he can use the cell phone after chores and homework are completed and, an hour, and he had an hour of family time, then your entrance into the first step would be you seem to be having difficulty um, only using your cell phone after homework and chores are completed and after an hour of family time. What's up? 
So being clear about your concern is important. I mean, your expectation is important. We often as parents know very clearly what we don't want to see happen. Um, so we just need to make sure we get clear about what we do want to see happen that he's, that he's not able to uh, attend to at the moment. It sounds like you do have a hard time getting him off the phone, so that certainly could be a challenge. Um, maybe have the plan B conversation on the phone. I don't know if that would work, but that would be a creative way to do it. Although I did notice that you said that sometimes you can get him off the phone by making him leave it, leave it at home for a trip to fast food. Well, that would be a great time for a proactive plan B. Um, and learning from him what the allure of the phone is and what the difficulty in pausing for chores and homework and family time. Again, that's my example. I'm not quite sure what your expectation is. Um, what makes it that difficult to do? It sounds like the therapist has a theory about that, um, that the phone is soothing. I'm not sure if the therapist got that information from your son or if the therapist is sort of thinking that could be what's at work here, it would certainly be important for you to um, rope your son into the conversation and to make sure that you get the information from him. Um, it certainly could be that it's, it's got a soothing component. Um, that might be his whole perspective. That could be only part of it. That might not be his perspective at all. It's about something else. Um, so it might, it's going to be important to, to get his side of the story. You could check in with him about what the therapist thinks, and you could say, you know, um, when you're drilling in the first stage, in the first step, and, you know, ask him, do you think that, you know, you feel better when you use your cell phone? Are you, you know, if you're upset about something, does the cell phone help you feel better? And those kinds of questions to try to figure out if it is, does have a soothing aspect of it. Um, let's see, what else about this one? Um, I would keep in mind that it might not take just one fast food trip that is phone free <laughs> where he's able to have a conversation. And, you know, if he's, I don't know if while he's on the phone, he's still able to attend to a conversation. I'm not quite sure if he's, have, if he's talking to someone else on the phone, that probably wouldn't work. But if he was doing other things on his phone, he might be able to kind of dual attend. I'm not sure. But if you feel that the best way to have a conversation is without the phone and your fast food solution has, has provided a little temporary relief to that, um, I would, you know, I would think about how it might take more than one fast food run to get through the three steps to a solution that you guys are, are willing to try. Um, there is no magic in the three steps of plan B. Uh, often it could take a couple of conversations just to get through step one. And it's real important not to treat step one as a formality. You actually are interested in what your son has to say. And you actually do want to know his perspective because that's going to best position you to help him. Um, so if it takes a couple of fast food conversations just to get through the first step, it's still worth it. You're still... Um, building towards a solution that has a good shot of working. Um, I had another thought about this one, but I'm forgetting what that was. 
I think maybe I didn't. <laughs> uh, let's check. Any callers? No callers at this time. It's a slow radio day. Okay. Well, we will get to another email then. Okay. This is from a parent who says, I met with a therapist a couple of weeks ago and discussed my son. I'm on the therapist waiting list, and he recommended I read your book to help me start to understand my son better. I feel that I can't resolve all his problems until we're communicating better and listening better. I'm pretty sure that my son has ADHD and ODD. I cannot get him to listen at all. I tried to talk to him about how I can help him listen better. I promised to not nag as much, and I'm trying. But he will be doing something to his sister or brother, and when I ask him to get off or to stop, and the sister and brother are asking or crying, he continues to do it. For example, he will put his legs on his brother in the car and won't move them. The brother will push them off. I will ask him to move his legs, and he will continue to put them back on or not move them. It always ends in an explosive episode from him and me. I'm afraid that I am not going to be able to work on his other challenges until I get him listening. And I'm not going to get him listening until I get him medicated. Something I don't want to do, but will if I have to. Please help. How do I get him to listen? And of course, in the course of reading this email, I recalled what I was going to add to the last one. Um, which actually I think could apply to this one or, may, or um, might not be the most salient piece of advice that, that we'll talk about here, but I'll mention it now anyway. Um, making an appointment can be really helpful as well. And so with regards to the son and his cell phone, um, with regards to this child who's having trouble listening, um, making an appointment and making sure that kids know a lot of reassurance that this isn't plan A. You're not mad at them. You're not going to tell them what to do. No one's thinking they're a bad guy here. Um, it's just the problem that you notice isn't quite solved, and you'd like to know as much about it as you can um, so that you can be as helpful as you can. Uh, so, okay. Well, I'm glad that um, you found Dr. Green's book and that it's giving you some, some things to think about. Um, it's true that communicating better is definitely the key to getting things moving in a great direction. Um, I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record because I'm, it's not quite clear to me in your email um, whether you have started with our assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, that is really the jumping off point to um, working with kids who have piles of unsolved problems is to best understand why are they challenging and when are they challenging. That's going to help them become as predictable as possible to you so that you can be in a good position to make a plan of how you're going to address each one. Again, CPS is not magic. You're not going to be able to work on all the unsolved problems at once. So figuring out um, which unsolved problems you will use plan C with Plan C, again, is dropping the expectation temporarily, which might look like not bringing it up at all, or it might look like having some sort of what I call a Band-Aid plan for, um, 
that, that's temporary and sort of circumvents the unsolved problem. We're not teaching anything with that. We're just keeping things calm. And, um, and then you decide what are your priority unsolved problems, maybe one or two, maybe three, that you're going to work on with proactive plan B. And so having that plan laid out, you know, having a good amount of plan C happening at the same time that a couple of priority unsolved problems you're, you're doing proactive plan B with is the key to kind of getting things a little calmer um, to make more room for doing proactive plan B. And so um, the unsolved problems that I'm seeing in here um, give a great example of how he puts his leg, legs on his brother in the car and doesn't respond to being asked um, to move them. So it sounds like your expectation is that he um, keep his legs, or you might even say his body to himself, um, in the car um, when his brother's there. And he's having difficulty doing that. Um, I can see how this plays out for you as you've sort of detailed it here that, um, you know, his brother will push his legs off. And brother doesn't know better. Brother does a reaction and, and, um, and uh, you know, it could be considered a plan A reaction. The brother doesn't know that and he's not the caregiver, but that could certainly incite things then you will ask him to move his legs, which is a plan A response um, because he knows the expectation. His expectation is not to have his legs on his brother. He's probably gotten that feedback already, so he knows that, and yet he's still doing it, right? So that, that in that moment is emergency plan A. Um, and then you say he continues to put them back on or not move them, and it always ends in an explosive episode where you're both getting heated, right? So a couple of things. Uh, we always talk about proactive first because that's your best bet. If you decide to prioritize this unsolved problem of keeping his legs to himself or how you might want to phrase it, his body to himself in the car with his brother, um, then when you're not in the car um, is when, and, and things are relatively calm, is when you would talk to him about that. You know, buddy, I notice you have difficulty um, keeping your legs to yourself when you, you and your brother are riding in the backseat of the car. What's up? And again, um, a lot of reassurance that um, you're not mad at him and you believe he's doing the best he can with what he's got. And, you know, you know, I, I like to go as far even at, when kids have had some plan A over the issue as acknowledging that I know what I've done in the past to try to fix it hasn't worked. And I was thinking that the, our best bet is to put our heads together about this so that I just can understand where you're coming from. Um, non-judgmental, neutral, and um, lots of listening going on then. And then, you know, once you get his perspective out on, on what, what's hard about keeping his legs to himself in the car with his brother, and you think that you understand it, um, you do a summary. That's one of our drilling strategies on our drilling cheat sheet, which can be found on the website under CPS resources and then paperwork. And you do a summary of what you've learned, of what he's told you, and ask him if there's anything else that you should know about this. And then you can move on to tell him what you're worried about here. My guess is you're worried because um, brother doesn't like it, and it upsets him, and then things sort of spiral from there, and things can get unsafe in the car. Um, again, being careful not to just 
repeat your expectation when you do step two because that's plan A, you know. So you wouldn't say the thing is you can't have your legs on your brother. Um, you would say what, what worries you when that happens. You know, what I get worried about is brother doesn't like it, he gets upset, and then things get unsafe in the car. Um, and then your third step would be to summarize what you learned from him. I wonder if there's a way we can help you with whatever he said in such a way that, um, you know, brother doesn't get upset and things don't get unsafe in the car. So ideally, you'd go proactive because um, that's the best way for, um, f- for, you know, problems to get solved, skills to get taught. And the thing that you talked about that he's not listening and he needs help, you need help to get him listen, to listen better. Um, we often find that when kids trust the process and they trust that plan B is happening, which can take uh, some transparency on the part of the adult talking and describing that they're not doing plan A, that they are in fact doing something different and um, describing that to kids in ways that they can understand depending on age and cognitive level to increase their comfort level for participating in the process. And so, um, you know, kids can be defensive. Uh, Kids can say things like, I'm not going to talk to you or, you know, in other ways, uh, um, you know, signal that to you or I don't have to talk to you and all that. You know, and our goal is to don't do anything to decrease the chances that the kid will talk next time. And we certainly just try to permission. You don't have to talk. You're right. Um, Sometimes we ask what would be the risk in talking and sort of talk about talking. Um, I had a kid uh, on a – I get to listen to recordings of teachers trying CPS with kids. And – I had a kid who, you know, flat out said, I don't talk to you because I'm worried about getting in trouble. And so that was pretty clear. We know exactly why this kid isn't talking. And we know exactly why this kid isn't listening. He's he's viewing the adults as standing between him and the things he cares about. And he doesn't want to lose out on any of games and other kinds of things. So he thinks that plan A is coming. And so being transparent that this is different, uh, talking when they're, um, out, you know, outside of the unsolved problem happening proactively, when things are calm, a lot of reassurance. And, and not just once, you know, I, often we've got to use reassurance a few times in the conversation. Um, you know, until you get a plan B rhythm going and the kid starts to believe that plan B is coming and plan A is not coming, um, often that can help with the listening when they know you're actually going to be listening first. And there's a reason why we put the empathy step first and we have adults go first, because when we're doing plan A, we're doing zero listening, you know, not true listening. Um, And so that's why kids go first. And we really encourage adults to take their time to fully understand where kids are coming from. Um, When kids, you know, plan A does not address kids' concerns whatsoever. And so when kids, uh, have a lot of plan A, they, they, they get the message that their concerns are not important and will not get addressed. So sometimes as a reaction to believing that their concerns are not going to get addressed, um, they shut down, they don't listen, 
they talk over and all of that. When they start to understand that we are listening and that their concerns not only are important but have equal weight to ours, that we are as invested in meeting our concerns as we are in meeting their concerns, then things usually start to change and, um, and the talking comes along. Like I mentioned uh, at the top of this email related to the previous one, making an appointment could help. And again, a lot of like discussion about what that appointment would be about so it's not anxiety producing. Um, owning that, you know, I know that the plan A I've done with you and I would describe it so he knows what you're talking about um, hasn't helped and in fact has made it worse. And I'm trying to think about you differently I'm trying to understand you differently. I'm realizing that for us to get things going better, we've got to be partners. And really kind of describing that to kids can, can often help with that difficulty listening part. Um, in the heat of the moment, because your example here is in the heat of the moment, um, if you need to use an emergency plan and you always have A, B, and C, um, you know, knowing that plan A will often make things worse and will take a hit to your relationship. You know, sometimes plan C, like it sounds like in the example you gave where he's putting his legs on his brother in the car and brother's reacting, it sounds like plan C might not be an option. You know, plan C, you know, you wouldn't say anything. Um, and it sounds like that might not work out in that, in that situation. So you do have emergency B. The hope and goal with emergency B is not a nice three neat steps, and we're not looking at skills training here like we are with proactive B. We're just looking at returning the kid to baseline. So in the heat of the moment, in this example that you gave, I would say, buddy, you seem to be having trouble uh, keeping, your, you know, keeping your legs to yourself. What's going on? I'm not mad at you. You're not in trouble. Just tell me what's going on. What's hard about it right now? You know? Kids are in the water in the heat of the moment. They already, um, they've already gotten wet. They're already, you know, going downstream, as we say. You know, their full rational thought is not available to them. Um, so the responses you get aren't necessarily the most helpful ones, but sometimes they are. Sometimes you might just say something like, I'm totally bored or something like that. That's information, right? And so that positions you to be able to help him with that, you know, like, you know, buddy, let's take care of the boarding because I get that. This is a long car ride. I get that. Um, you know, I want things to be safe in the car, so let's take care. How do we, what should we do? You know, and again, it's kind of a quick, I want to return things to baseline. You know, things that you use emergency B for, you're going to want to go back with proactive B if you think that's going to happen again because we haven't done any skills training with emergency B necessarily because they're already in the water and as Dr. Green likes to say, we, we've got heat in the mix, we've got rush in the mix, timing, you are taking off guard, you're driving, you know, it's not the best time. So, you know, it's not the best scenario for skill teaching to happen, which is the key to long-term success. So things that you might use emergency B for, you're going to want to make sure to go back with proactive B. But again, it all goes back to that outfit. What are you working on? What are you not working on? And so when you go back with proactive B, it might not be, you know, in the next couple of days because it might be that you have bigger fish to fry and it might be that you table it for another time. Um, and you can say to kids, you know, hey, that's 
one of those things that you and I have to put our heads together and figure out, but we've got other things we're working on, so we won't work on that one just yet. But we'll get to it. All right, and we have a caller. Let's see who's on with us here. Hello, you're on the air. Hi. Hello? Um, this is a, hello. I can hear you. Hi. This is the hi. <laughs> Thanks. This is my first time calling in, so sorry I'm a little unsure about the process. Um, I was wondering oh, if I could get some help. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. my son, I have twins. They are going to be 7 in a few weeks. They're in first grade. And my son um, has been having some challenges academically. My daughter, on the other hand, has been doing well. So he feels, um, you know, he feels bad because he's not as good at everything. Um, He has been offered a spot in the summer program at school so that it can help him get up to grade level with respect to his reading. He needs some help with his writing and other things. And then just as an aside, in the meanwhile, he's been attending a reading and after-school reading program independently um, in a different town that he goes to three times a week, an hour each week, which he um, really enjoys doing because it's very encouraging. There are only like three kids in the class, and he's been building up his confidence there. Anyway, so Mm -hmm. we talked about summer schedules yesterday and I started out with you know the first week you can go do like this fun science camp and the next week we'll go visit grandma and then the week after you know Alex you're gonna go to this um, program they have at school and then you know of course it's like well what is it and I said well it's to help you with your reading so you'll be ahead um, when you go into second grade he's all well how am I gonna get there and I said on the bus and he said no you know you can't make me go I'm not gonna get on the bus I'm never gonna go I'm gonna run away or whatever he said and then he proceeded to punch me really hard in the stomach. So I, of course, was not feeling empathetic at that point. And uh, my (laughs) gut reaction was, you know, you're not being safe in the house. I'm taking you to the Y. You're going to go to the kids' corner at the Y, and you're going to calm down there, and, you know, we can discuss this later. Um, We, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but literally we had to drag him into the car to get my husband and I had to drag him into the car, get him there. And my husband later told me, he said, you know, Alex thinks that you're telling him that he's dumb. And I said, that's not at all the message I was trying to give him. And he said, well, that's the message he got. And he thinks he's dumb and he doesn't want to go because of that. So I tried to talk to Alex later and, you know, I told him that, I love him. He's smart. He's funny. He's great, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I tried to ask, do you want to talk about summer school? And he said, nope, never going to talk about that again. Talk to me about that. I'm going to hit you again. So I'm not quite sure how to be empathetic and to get him to open up. Well, you know, thanks for calling and thanks for holding, by the way. And this is, you know, it's a great question. And so um, just so I know your timeline. Um, when Mm -hmm. is the summer program supposed to start? Well, the summer program starts um, the week after the 4th of July holiday, but we need to confirm our space by the end of this week because they just have a waiting list and they'll just keep going down the line um, to the next people. So basically my son wasn't initially offered a spot because he wasn't far enough below grade level and he was on the waiting list and Mm -hmm. then his name came up. Okay, so in terms of 
when the program starts, you're nice and proactive with this unsolved problem, which is great. In terms of needing to confirm his space, I see you kind of feeling pressured potentially about that because you need to confirm it as soon as possible, and that could be adding some rush to this mix, um, mm -hmm. which is totally understandable. I would first maybe give some thought and think through and maybe even talk with the summer programming people. Like, you know, um, I'm, as of right now, he's saying he's not going. I'm thinking this mm -hmm. will be good for him. Can I have a little bit of breathing room on this? Because <laughs> maybe they can say, oh, yeah, 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 you know, take two more weeks. We've, you know, we could then let the other, another family know or something like that. Because um, if you're feeling like this is an expectation that's real important to you and your husband and that mm -hmm. you want to pursue it, getting you some breathing room is going to be helpful because, again, this is not magic. We're not, we're not, there's no guarantee we're going to fix this in two days' time, especially mm -hmm. when he's still heated about it. So that mm -hmm. was just food for thought about that, just to buy yourself some time because then uh, I know when I'm not feeling rushed is when I'm at my best. <laughs> as soon as right. I'm feeling rushed, I am not at my best with my kids. Right, um, right. Well, I did so reach out to thought. his school counselor, um, and I and she said, mm -hmm. you know, I'll have a talk with him because my son, you know, ha kind of had. I didn't tell her that she that my son punched me in the stomach, but I told her, you know, the rest of it about him being very upset. And she said, you know, my son was the same way. He went to first grade um, summer program, and it was really hard getting him there the first day. But then after that, he realized it was a lot of fun, and he enjoyed it. And it went by really quick, and it's, you know, only four days of the week, and it's a four-week program. And she said, I'll talk to Alex, you know, just, just casually in private, and I'll just tell him about my son's experience. Um, so hopefully that will help. And then I also asked uh, his teacher if it would help for the three or the four of us, I guess, to sit together and talk. And I, and I don't know if, he'll, if my son will feel like he's being put on the spot or – if it would help right. to get, because I think if it's coming from me, he's just going to balk, where if it's coming from, you know, someone else, he has a little more, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, flexibility with listening. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, you know, um, it's not a bad strategy to have somebody else take a stab at it. What I would be interested in, whoever's going to talk to him about it, and I wouldn't necessarily give up on you being able to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think for you, you know, at this point from what you're saying, for you to be able to do it, they would probably need to be some increasing his comfort level that it's not going to be shoved down right. his throat. Um, right. Because my guess is, and I'm, you know, not, I don't know you and you can certainly tell me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. that you would want to have the scene of forcing him in the car, getting him to that program happening four days a week for four weeks is not, going to be something you're going to be interested in doing either. So Correct. <laughs> um, finding a way, yeah, so finding a way to say, like, I know that didn't go well. And I'm hoping that um, I want you to know um, no, no one's going to force things to happen here. Um, I want to hear out when you're ready to tell me what you're worried about with, with um, mm -hmm. what's difficult about going to the summer program. Now, you might have to write that in a note because he's not listening to you right now <laughs> because he's, he's amped. But it's increasing his comfort level that he doesn't have to fight you because you're not fighting. Mm -hmm. You know, that mm -hmm. clearly you are telling me that there is something the matter with the summer program. And I would love if you fill me in, then maybe we can figure it out together. Couched mm -hmm. in, I'm not, you know, clearly you're telling me this is, 
you know, something about this is upsetting you, I want you to know I'm not going to force you. And you still have concerns, Mm -hmm. which we're going to get to. But if you take that need to fight away, um, you might be able to Mm -hmm. be the person that has the conversation. So maybe you say to him and then maybe you make an appointment with him, like, you know, let's go, whatever he might like to do, let's go shoot some hoops. And we can talk about it. And again, mm-hmm. there is no pressure. I'm just interested in knowing from you what, what when you think about the summer program, what about that isn't floating for you, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, until we know, because it is it, you know, so your husband got a piece of information potentially that he has mm-hmm. to go and this means that you think he's dumb. That could be in the mix mm-hmm. here. It certainly could be, Right. There could be other things. Mm-hmm. You, it was interesting that you said once you mentioned the bus. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. You know, so there could there's a lot of different things about attending the summer program that could not be sitting well with him that I want to check in with him about. Right. You know, if right. it wasn't yeah. if it wasn't the bus, would that be better? What is it about the bus? You know, all of that stuff. And then because right. your husband got the information already about he thinks he's dumb, I would check in with him about that. Like, you know, do you really kind of thing and. Because, you know, we talk a lot mm-hmm. on this program about um, the concept of fair not always being equal. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine mm-hmm. when you have twins that being all the way live, right? Because, right. you know, they're the same age. They were born at the same time. In their minds, everything right. should be the same. And you know that being a good parent means not giving them the same things. They're two different people. They need something mm-hmm. different from you. And I imagine Mm -hmm. that you have a lot of opportunities to have that conversation, you know, with, you know, if I did the same, I just had this conversation with my daughter the other day and my kids are five years apart. So I didn't actually think this Mm -hmm. would come up often, but it does where she will get jealous Mm -hmm. about her younger brother and what he's Mm -hmm. getting. And I said to her, you know, if I did the exact same thing for both of you, neither one of you would get what you need for me. You know, you needed Mm -hmm. to sleep in my bed for the first six months of your life every night. Your brother has never needed that. He has never slept in our bed, you know, and, and I gave her multiple right. examples of things that she's needed that he doesn't and he needs that she doesn't. So you see that it, it, it just means you get what you need. You know, everybody gets what right. they need. It's not you don't need the same things. So, you know, it could be heading in that direction. It could be the I'm dumb is some sort of inaccurate interpretation that he's he's got in his head. This is a negative tape that plays for him. I don't know. But we've got to check in mm-hmm. with him about it because there's many things about this that could not be sitting well for him. And until you're clued in, you can't actually help. Mm-hmm. And until you're clued in, your concerns, and it sounds like your concerns being that he um, get practice with reading, so it's not always hard for him, and you feel better about his reading skills, you know, that's all important and is going to be factored in, you know, mm-hmm. um, in step two. But, but first, you've got to really get where he's coming from in order to best position you to meet both sets mm-hmm. of your concerns. Right. How does and that I think it's I know I talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that's great. Um, and I think what you picked up on earlier about the bus comment um, is spot on because I, this morning, they, they've been asking to, well, actually almost told, since uh, January or so, they've been asking that we drive them to school as opposed to going on the bus. And we've been, yeah, because the winter has been long. And so, you know, we'll drive you to school, no problem. And so they've kind of gotten into that routine. And then this morning he asked me, he said, are we taking the bus to school today? And I said, well, you could if you want to. Do you want to take the bus or do you want us to drive? 
and he said, drive. And I said, do you want us to drive you, like, for the rest of the year? And he said, yeah. And I said, for the summer, too? And he said, yeah. And so I, oh, so in the beginning of the school year, yeah. Yeah, so I think that mm-hmm. is one part of it, in addition to the whole I feel dumb thing. Um, because he has mm-hmm. said to me in the past that, oh, I feel like I'm not good at anything except for math, because Pretty, he's better than his sister is at math. Um, and so I said, no, honey, that's not true. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I know he's carrying some already baggage about where he yeah. is with respect to his sister. <laughs> and then, of course, where he is just with respect to his class in general. Um, and I'm not quite sure how to really get him to talk about because he doesn't share a lot in general neither of my children actually share a lot and so i don't actually know what happens in their day or he'll just flat out not tell me like i'll know for sure that he's um he's part of the lunch bunch at school and he meets Mm. with the counselor like once a week and i know for sure he's doing it and when i asked him about it the first time he said oh no i don't do that no (laughs) and so it's like "Ah." (laughs) Um, wow. I, I hate to interrupt you. This is a great conversation, but I noticed that our show is about to end here. And in fact, it's actually ending for, no, it's okay. It's actually ending for the school year. So definitely call us back in the fall. We would love to hear how it's going. And thanks so much for calling in. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch us in September. Thank you. Take care.